about to reconcile, wreck and wreck and wreck We about to reconcile, bitch. We about to We about to reconcile, we about to reconcile, we about to reconcile, we about to Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another edition of Reconcile This. We are absolutely excited to talk about how we're going to look at the concept of reconciliation from an entirely perspective. But before we do that, who am I? Why, none other than your host with the most, Dr. Frederick Gooding Jr., a.k.a. Dr. G. And I'm aided by my co-host with the co-most. You all know the marvelous, the mellifluous, and the magnificent that would be I see him smiling, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Mr. Perkins. What's going on, my brother? Dr. G, all is well. I just got in from the West Coast. So, um, you know, hustling hard. That's been hustling my hustling hard. Okay. Yeah. Now, I mean, now, were you out there for, because, uh, I mean, you know, when I think black male, I'm thinking sports. Were you out there for a tournament game? or? <laughs> nah, or nah, for- man. It's- Conference, man, uh, American oh, Association. Oh, you mean uh, a scholarly endeavor? Is that what you're out there yeah, for? Absolutely, man. It was a great experience, too. Absolutely great. My first time in California, I uh, met a, uh, Dr. Sean Harper was there, did the keynote. Okay. Um, it was an amazing time, man. Met, met a lot of good people, got a chance to get my stuff out there, got a lot of great mm. feedback, a lot of great love, and some, some good opportunities down the pipeline. Okay. Okay. When you say my stuff, I mean, what, yeah. what do you mean? You you were uh you showing your uh your lip balm or nah. <laughs> no no um presented on a uh, topic, uh 20th century colonialism in higher education and so uh reading that book you gave me when we first started our uh, Ebony and Ivy by Craig Stephen Wilder, who argues that for a civilization is built on bondage, there were three main pillars: the church, the state, and higher education. In his book, he focuses primarily on the 17th century at the start of higher education, looking mainly at the Ivy Leagues and how enslavement was used. And so I take those three same pillars and apply them to the 20th century, uh, where we have a very, very interesting time when it comes to race relations, uh, given the great fear of what does America do with these new free Negroes and their need and desire for education. And so I look at how the state, the church and higher education still play an active role in the limitations of education when it comes to Black people in America. So it was a great time, man. It was a great time. Well, uh, Mr. Perkins, I guess if you can fit great time in the same sentence with these heavy topics, then God bless you. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that sounds like some serious business right there. You know, It was, it was, it was. I mean, but my, my goodness. And, and so uh, God bless you because you just got off the plane and here you are in, in the cockpit, um, you know, ready to fly high because um, we have with us, um, uh, I think, a, a, a beautiful individual with, yeah. a, with a beautiful story to tell with respect to 
the concept mm. of reconciliation. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we'd love to welcome to the cipher Antonio Igbokini, who is a third-year medical student at the Anne Burnett Marion School of Medicine at Texas Christian University, and say that three times fast. Mr. Igbokini, how you doing, my brother? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Dr. G. Thank you for having me, Marcellus. This is an honor. Right. Of most highest honor, so I appreciate y'all. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, absolutely. I mean, so let's get on into it because um, yeah, the, the feeling is absolutely mutual. I mean, but before we get into the, the phenomenal work that you and others have been doing with respect to reconciliation, um, why don't we just start with just the basics in terms of how do you slip, trip, and end up in medical school, my brother? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, so, where, I mean, where, you, so, where are you yeah, from? Yeah. What's the origin stories? What's the origin stories of your superhero journey? For sure, for sure. I mean, it's all really just divine intervention, right? So I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, a family of immigrants. Um, I actually grew up in a single parent household, me, my mom, my sister. Uh, we grew up, it was kind of a struggle, right? I mean, you kind of hear them stories all the time, kind of perpetuating through different communities, particularly communities of color. Grew up uh, below the poverty line, grew up in homelessness, grew up with a lot of different struggles, but we had love and that made it all the more better. We had a praying mother that made me be able to figure out if I can, you know, make these different things happen, right? Never knew what it looked like to go to college. Nobody in my family went to college, but uh she inspired me, my family inspired me. And so I kept trying to push on through, went to the University of Arkansas for undergraduate studies, biology and African-American studies. Went to Creighton somehow, ended up in the Midwest. Don't recommend, highly don't recommend all the snow. <laughs> I got my graduate degree there in bioethics. And then um, after some hurdles, some obstacles, uh, taking the MCAT over and over, I finally was able to get over that hump and I wanted to come back to the South. And so I came to Texas Christian University. So glad to be here. and. I'm glad for the opportunities that have opened up from being at this institution. Yeah, man, no doubt, man. First of all, I really appreciate you joining us and uh, sharing your story off top. Um, and just for and try to make it as um, easy to explain as possible, what is your focus in medicine, if, if you can? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, there's a lot of different topics. A lot but of terms, yeah. Right. The thing that I'm interested in going into and specializing in once I graduate medical school is psychiatry. And so okay. psychiatry is the study and the medicine of uh, the mind, the body, and the spirit all intertwined together. Uh, and there's a lot of respect and there's a lot of homage that comes with that understanding that your mind is the, the vessel to a third of the diseases that you could potentially get, right? Mm. And so we can champion our mind. We can champion depression, suicidality, substance use, substance addiction. Uh, we begin to realize we can, you know, conquer anything and we can really get our fullest potential. And so that's why I really appreciate the field. And I'm excited to enter it uh, once I graduate medical school. Mm. So what, what's for me now, you, you said a lot and we're definitely going to get into the, the life of the mind and especially as black men um, and you being a black male doctor um, right. and Cummings, like what sparked that for you? What sparked you wanting to become a doctor? What sparked you? to want to follow that type of pathway as well, that type of medicine? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, we hear it all the time as well. And so you kind of have to do a lot of introspection on, you know, why you came to medicine and why you're here where you are. For me, the biggest thing is I just saw so many people in my community, so many people in my immediate family that were suffering from substance use, that were suffering from depression, suffering from comorbidities. And a lot of times people didn't feel comfortable to see, you know, a provider because there was nobody that looked like them, that they could feel like they could trust, right? Trust is something that's huge in the Black community. Right. And particularly from the community that I come from, people would rather just sit in <laughs> and wallow and, and suffer in a disease versus go to somebody that they don't trust because they don't know if that person has their best interests. Right. So 
me having representation, being that representative to say, hey, look, there are people who are out here that's trying to make sure that we take care of you. And me, myself, being able to take care of my community and folks like mine and unlike mine, um, I think that's really kind of the driving motivation that really keeps me going. Mm. You know, and, and, and what you're saying is powerful because I, I don't know if it's some people maybe do want to sit, but maybe they just don't know where else to go. Right. You know, or maybe they self-medicate and, and that may not be as effective for the long term. Right. And so when you talk about the mind, I'm just curious, the, the difference between you said you had a praying mother and um, you, you said, you, you know, you, you're immigrant. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know if you feel comfortable sharing where you immigrated from and also the difference between just the the good old fashioned, you know, love you had to help stay mentally strong versus the actual techniques and terms you're learning now in terms right. of individuals become mentally strong. I'm just curious what, yeah. if there's overlap or if there's, you know, one that informs the other. Yeah, I think there is a little bit of overlap. One kind of um, kind of give precedence for the next one, right? I think of it as kind of levels. And once you get to certain levels of it, you understand that there's different levels to love and there's different levels of understanding who you are. So just to kind of backtrack, my family immigrated from Nigeria. So uh, my my Igbo Quindu stand up, you know what I mean? <laughs> All right, what's Africa? Very, okay, yes, sir. I'm very proud to be a Nigerian. Um, I'm very proud to come from a family who, um, has taught me a lot about my culture and where I come from and just that 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 honor to be able to kind of put it all together. Um, and, and I, just real quick, real quick, because you said there's something significant. So the first part of your name actually signifies and informs a larger legacy as far as where you're coming from. Is that correct? That's correct. Correct. So I come from the Igbo people or the Igbo tribe, which is a large, one of the largest sub tribe, tribal uh, entities in Nigeria. And so- okay. There's a lot of different tribes, but usually when we think about the Nigerians, we think about the Igbos, the Yorubas, and the Hausas as mm. kind of three largest uh, tribes in, in, in the country. Um, but kind of to your point, Dr. G, just about what comes first, was it the love that I learned through some of the, the teachings that I've gotten from medical school and just from being around mental health professionals, or the love for my mother? I think they do kind of intersect a little bit. I think the love my mother gave me gave, gave me a foundation, right? And understanding that this is something that's unconditional. And then kind of going through my teachings, understanding that sometimes we have to figure out how to love ourselves, right? Mm. And so that's a bigger, that's a deeper, more progressive path that a lot of people haven't been able to unlock just because there's so many different intersectionalities, so many different obstacles, so many different systems in play that are really kind of inhibiting that true growth, that true feeling of what it's like to not just love others, but what it's like to love myself. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's very powerful, especially coming from a black man. Yeah, and so and I and it just it sparks my thought because I first met you at your barbershop talk that you were hosting. Right, um, yeah, just seeing one of the first ones, man. I think it was uh, the one in Como. Uh, yeah. actually, was just there, not there long ago. Shout out to uh, Good Rich, yeah, but. I, I think, you know, being in that space and, and hearing you say, like, the love is what sparked you, I think is very reflective in the work that you do now. Like, the barbershop talk is definitely a labor of love. So if, if you can um, talk a little bit about, you know, what sparked the barbershop talk, you know, why have these very deep, intimate conversations in the barbershop of all places? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. So I think I can kind of tie that in with some of my life kind of growing up uh, before it was just me and my mom and my sister. It was my dad as well. Unfortunately, 
uh, just the way that the systems are in government was he was deported back to Nigeria. Mm. But before he you know, left, the big thing for us was to be able to go to the barbershop. I remember he took me for my first haircut, how mm. traumatic that was. But I remember mm. also, you know, how good it felt to leave the barbershop and knowing, okay, I'm a different person. I'm a whole different human now. Yeah. And I also Fresh thought, and clean. you know what I'm saying? You look good, <laughs> you feel good. And so on and so forth. Shout out to Dion. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think the biggest thing for me was understanding how it was, how it impacted my dad. My dad was the type of person who, honestly, when he was at home, he honestly didn't talk that much, right? He was just kind of that person who stood behind the newspaper and, you know, you really didn't see much of him. You knew he was there, but he wasn't really saying much. But anytime he came to the barbershop, he was giving it up. I mean, talking about everything that was just, he was feeling about politics, um, home life, um, his own, you know, uh, fears and inequities and things of that nature. And so just kind of seeing him open up the way he did, I always knew there was a magic and there was a power behind the barbershop um, because it was a safe space, right? A safe space for men where men of color, we honestly don't have that many safe spaces in this world. Mm. And so for me, when COVID happened and all of these different things were in play in 2020, I realized there was a threat to the safe spaces of men, not just to be able to talk about the things that have been really going on and plaguing society in that time. But just to kind of get back to the basis of what do I do next with this information? Because sometimes it's not enough to talk about it. Sometimes it's about what's the next step. And so that's kind of where the the passion and the idea came from it. I was able to apply for a grant through the American Psychiatric Association to kind of really get the seed money to get the ground rolling for the project. And I uh, met with some people in the communities, uh, Stop Six, uh, Family Action Center, Dr. Carlos Walker. He was huge yeah, in yeah. being able to figure out exactly, you know, what communities, uh, what barbers, uh, so on and so forth. And then it was really just a community-driven effort, right? Like, I didn't want this to be my thing. I wanted it to be the community's thing. So I often asked them, what do y'all want? What is yeah. it that you envision? And yeah. so the fact that they said, hey, we just want therapists to just to come in and just to talk to us while we give them haircuts, that's kind of how the whole thing came about. So yeah. it wasn't anything about what I wanted. It was literally what the community said. And I said, okay, let's do it. And so yeah. that's kind of came together because it's so important not to be, you know, to do things for the community, but be of the community, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just make sure we're not impeaching this hegemonic belief that we know what's best for the community. We know what's we know best. What's yeah, right. So yeah, start it, yeah. Man, that's so dope, man. I mean, I guess for our listeners, man, if you can explain why is the barbershop such a safe space for black men? I mean, I I know growing up too, like I used to love just hanging out at the barbershop. Like yeah. PJs was my shop. Right, I would right. go there. He gave me a job to sweep the hair. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I got my oils. I got my hats. <laughs> I learned how to argue in the barbershop. Right, I, right. I understood, like, you know, you learn how to, you know. That, that's all you got? I mean, you, you, I mean, I, I got mixtapes. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, yeah, I got, yeah. got mixtapes. I got bootlegs. <laughs> you know I got I mean, magazines. Everything you need. Everything you need. All your hair. I got everything. Shout out to PJ, man. I got everything for PJs, man. So what? Why? What is it though? What is it about the barbershop where black men just feel like, ah, I can relax here? I honestly, it's it's everything, man. It's like I said, literally, it's a safe space. People come here. They come to get the haircut. Yeah. And something about barbers and the therapeutic nature of getting a haircut, feeling restored and revitalized. Yeah. Coming. You know, all the, the baggage that you come in with a haircut and now you're cutting that hair off symbolically, you're releasing all the baggage that you came in with. Mm. So many other men are going through the same thing. So it's this solidarity and knowing that we all coming in with baggage, but we all leaving out with, without it. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's just so many different components, man. Like the fact that men raise up their children in the barbershop. Mm-hmm. And so we see, you know, our neighbors and our community grow up, right? There were some people in my barbershop growing up in Little Rock. I seen them same kids over and over. I seen them same moms over and over, same dads over and over. And all the barbers knew us, right? Yeah. Uh, spot for people when you know you're in a little bit of trouble you're trying to you know get away for a little bit of heat and that type of thing like it was everything for us right so i think it's just magic to it so and and so when you talk about this magic i mean here within the tcu universe you first started i want to say it was april 2022 right i'm I'm trying to remember uh, when you first started with the uh the the barbershop talk series yeah Uh, so I got the grant in 2020 of August and okay. then 2021 of April is when we did our, our uh, no, no, it was 2022, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was 2020, yeah, it was April 2022. And then you yeah. recently did uh, February this year in 2023. Yeah. Yes, and I'm yes. just curious, you're right, right, okay, you know, I'm a historian, you know, I'm trying to get my date straight. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? saying? You know what I'm saying? So, um, but but I'm curious what the feedback is from participants, barbers, and people who show up in terms of the this therapeutic magic that you're referencing. Yeah, I, honestly, it, it was kind of crazy because at the point in time we only planned on doing like two or three of these events, right? We didn't even think about what it looked like in terms of longevity or consistency and continuity. And so the biggest feedback though was folks say, wait, we want more. <laughs> yeah, man. We want to do this more. We don't just want to do this one time, two time, three time. Like what do we have to do to make sure there's more? Mm-hmm. And so I've realized um, oftentimes it's not just about going into a community and just dropping a fire idea and hopefully that just invigorates everybody. But what does it look like to have um, longevity? What does it look like to have um, something that could be passed down, whether it's from me to the next medical student who's interested in something like that? or the next young man who's interested in maybe even going to medical school, right? And so kind of figuring out different ways to do that, trying to figure out different ways to get funding. Um, man, it's just been a, a like a pour of, just a pour of love and support. So many people have been, whether it's donating funds so that we can be able to do it at the next barbershop or right. saying, hey, some barbers are like, hey, we'll do it at our barbershop for free. We don't even need any money type of thing. So, um, you know, we started off trying to do two or three and we've probably done about 10 or 11 now. And okay. so, yeah, yeah. You know, so I mean, exciting time. I, I'll speak to it, man, as a participant, just going into that space. It was one of those mm-hmm. things when I got the flyer and I was like, mm, don't want to go. Don't want to go. I'll be like, man, I ain't got nothing to do. Let, let me go right. check it out. I already had a cut. So I was like, man, I don't want to, you know, sit in the barbershop. <laughs> I already had a cut. But when I walked into the space, man, because a lot of times, man, the barbershop is just it's the meeting grounds for black men. It's the networking spot. Um, we already have conversations like you're going to hear the the MJ or LeBron debate. You're going to hear the who's your top five. You're going to hear what's the new movie out. You're going to hear all everyone's perspectives about everything. But we had those very intentional conversations about the shadow work. You know what I mean? About what does it mean to be a man? Like, what does it be a man, be a man to know how to respond to situations as opposed to react to situations or to have that mental and emotional stimulation or, or having that help me? Those were those I was witnessing, you know, that that very um, intergenerational exchanges, you know, what I mean, like as older black men, this is how I dealt with it. This is what I wish I would have known when I was your age. These are the things that I'm still struggling with because I didn't handle them when I was your age. And then as a younger man in the room, I'm just like, OK, I'm taking mental note. Like these are the things that, you know, some of the old men and older men are just telling me, like, be weary, be, you know, watch out for this and invest, mm-hmm. invest your time, energy, money and emotions this way. Like if you're. Going after this opportunity, think about this. I mean, so it was such an enriching 
experience, man. It was just, I felt renewed when I left, man. I felt Mm -hmm. renewed. Um, I got a chance to network. I met some people I still stay in contact with now. Um, So, man, I just, I mean, I commend you, man, because I think it was just an amazing thing for a lot of people. And I think also what was special for me to see was that you're not from Fort Worth. Right. You know, you you doing that for the community. Um, Because I think a lot of times when you're outside and you come in, as you said, like we have the perspective, like we know what's best or the, the community may not be as accepting to outsiders, you know what I mean? And Fort Worth and Fort Worth residents are very proud of their city. They have a long history and right. legacy, specifically in like their black neighborhoods, about all the things that they've been able to do in oh, there. Strong. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And so for you to go in, to, you know, stop six, Como, um, mm-hmm. and, and create those spaces for black men that's been there for years, decades, and never seen it, mm-hmm. I think it inspired them too to think about what else can I do for my community. Yeah, I, I definitely think that was the biggest thing is just so many folks were like, all right, now how do we get active? Like, how do we get some of these different things that, you know, had a lot of the same qualities as the barbershop talk therapy project and we bring it to fruition. And like you said, so many folks was just networking. So many folks were saying like, all right, let's let's make these happen. Let's figure out what we can do in the interim until the next one, that type of thing. So it definitely I feel like it, it kind of just released this renaissance of uh just black men saying, hey, let's get it. Like, let's let's be better than, you know, what we were and let's continue to be stronger for the next generation. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of stronger, I mean, I'm, I'm apparently of the camp where strength is in growing in the hair. So that's the reason why I didn't make it to the, uh, the piece. <laughs> I don't know if my listeners have seen, you know, but the curls have been growing strong now. But that being said, that being said, um, you know, natural juices and berries, y'all. Uh, that being said, let's talk a little bit about, we're talking about the success and, and this is absolutely awesome. But let's also talk about the other side of the coin, which is, sounds like, or smells like, there might be a little bit of labor involved. I mean, again, now last I checked, you're a third year medical student. You're you're not a part of the Office of Diversity Inclusion. You know, you're not a full-time paid employee from Uh, Texas Christian University. So talk to us about, you know, that cost, if you would, of sacrifice and, 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 and why you're you're willing to do that and 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 the difficulty sometimes in, in in paying that price. Yeah, honestly, I always kind of forget about all the work that kind of goes into it. In fact, uh, we got another barbershop event coming up. It's going to be our first one out of the state. We're doing it in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, oh, for wow. annual oh, wow. education conference with SNMA. So it's going to be going to be pretty big and even uh, I was talking to one of my one of my friends and he was like, man, you putting all this stuff together and all these different things happening. How are you even having time for this? And so I think that's a big thing. It's just a sacrifice of the time. Right. Time I could be sometimes studying. So now I got to put a little bit of extra time in at night and, you know, to get the grind and make sure the reason that I'm in medical school is to get my medical degree. And so everything else is just supplement. And so making sure that I can have that balance between the two. Um, I think also a lot of times people especially in the beginning, they don't want to buy into it until they see how, you know, they don't want to buy the candy until they see how sweet it is type of thing. Mm. And so I think uh, before it all started, I was just kind of that lone dog in the race. I remember I tried to apply for so many grants, tried to get some buy-in from my institution, tried to get buy-in from different organizations. So it, I applied for like 20 something grants before I actually got, uh, finally got the grant to do it. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, Carlos yeah. significantly took off like, a lot of burden just because of his connects. Uh, but I think about how even more difficult this journey would have been if I didn't have Carlos, right? If he wasn't as supportive as he was 
if he wasn't such an advocate to the community as he was and being a bridge. And so it's just a lot of different barriers that come into play. Um, thinking about space, right? Some barbershops, you never know how many people are going to show up. Sometimes we have 10 to 15. Some last one, we had close to 100. And mm, so some barbershops right. are saying, hey, look, we don't have the space for all these folks. We 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 got to stay in protocol. So yeah. there's just a lot of different factors that have to be balanced. Uh, it is difficult, but I think the thing that makes it worthwhile is this is something I'm passionate about, right? I come from communities very similar to Stop Six, very similar to Como. Um, and it was always something big for communities to come together. And I always tell myself, and my mom used to tell me, and, and mentors tell me, if not you, then who, right? And so maybe this could be the, you know, the inspiration, the spark to, you know, have a, another young brother come up and say, hey, yo, look, I can take care of my community as well. I can do these same things as well. And that's how you break generational curses. And that's how you bring in um, just this renewal, this res resurgence, this renaissance. Man, I mean, I, I think that's just so dope because you're really witnessing healing in real time. Yeah, uh, yeah especially absolutely. for, you know, especially for black men. I mean, you're meeting black men where they are. Um, therapy sometimes is a very taboo topic in the black community, right. Right. Uh, especially amongst black men about like, man, there's nothing wrong with me or, you know, or it's, or a lot of it becomes repressed. And so this idea of, you know, going to a therapist can be intimidating, whether we want to admit it to or not, but bringing it in, making it, you know, fun, exciting, but also comfortable, you know, allowing people to be comfortable in these spaces. Because a lot of times with black men, we're like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. But the moment we see our friend do it, it's like, Oh, well, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, he did it, so you know, <laughs> it must not be too bad, so I'll do it as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I've witnessed is that healing in real time. And then um, also that other aspect that, you know, the, the qualifications for Black malehood sometimes is that, or we're all, well, a lot of times taught that you either physically provide or financially provide, physically sure. protect and financially provide. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you can't do that, your manhood is sometimes revoked. You we're know, not I mean? monolithic, you're not monolithic at all. So exactly, but like what's missing from those two qualifications, like the emotional and mental investment, like you know, how are we emotionally and mentally invested into like our black boys and our black men, so that they can be healthy, whole adults? And exactly. I think like you are leading the charge. I appreciate uh, that, doing bro. that type of work, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. So, you uh, know, and speaking of um, leading the charge, um, we're curious as to. I mean, who else is available to help you lead the charge at the medical school? I mean, talk to us about diversity yeah. in real time. I mean, we know that the medical school is a new endeavor for TCU. Yeah. And so we, we understand it's starting off. But that being said, um, you know, when you walk the hallways, you know, what, what does it feel like? What does it look like? And, and talk to us about how you maintain your mental space, you know, in, in, in that type of environment. Right. So. Uh, I'm very, I'm always transparent. Anytime they ask me to speak to, you know, the new premise that hopefully will be matriculating into medical school, I tell them straight up, like, that's work that we need to get done. And that's work that continuously is going onwards. Um, I'm the only black male in my particular medical school class, which can feel isolating, uh, particularly because if anybody knows me, so when you say the only like you're, you're you're like what one out of 15 students or something or one. So out of my class, I'm one out of 60. So wow. yeah, it's oh. it's it is uh it definitely can you're, feel you're, you're the only one. Are you sure? You sure? Uh, numero uno. That's it, Dr. G. That's just me. <laughs> Jeez. Beyonce say me, myself, and I. <laughs> but, uh, I uh but I, I look at it as uh, honestly an honor. I know a lot of times it's this line between, you know, honestly being sometimes too black and then being a token. So I just say, hey, look, I'm just gonna be myself always, authentically myself. And so the school knows what happens when what they get from me. They know what to expect from me. 
uh, they know like kind of, you know, what I'm passionate about. I often say, hey, look, we need better recruitment. We need a more maximized, robust recruitment for particularly uh, black men when it comes to uh, uh, being admitted into medical school. Uh, and so I think that permeates downwards. And so they've been trying to, you know, increase the recruitment efforts. There's more black men in the class below mine and, and so on and so forth. Um, so that's that's kind of working in its own. But I think the community for me still in my medical school comes from my uh, a lot of my friends who are in Student National Medical Association, which is um, its mission is to increase the number of current and future underrepresented minority medical students. And so uh, there's a lot of minority folks in there, black and brown. And I think for us having that community, kind of that, that likeness, um, that really kind of keeps me going as well when I'm in, you know, when I'm going through the trenches of school. So uh, before we close, man, first, I just want to thank you for your time just joining us. I know as a medical student, you're quite busy. Time is always up. Uh, nah, it's always good. Time for but, sure. um, you know, I definitely want to definitely give you flowers, man, because I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, and one of the questions we like to ask our guests before closing is, what does reconciliation mean to you? Yeah, so reconciliation. Um, I think reconciliation, it can mean it can mean a couple of different things depending on who you ask, right? And I think if you're asking yourself, reconciliation is what do I owe myself that I will make sure to get for myself? Mm. Um, and I think for when you ask somebody else, I think reconciliation is what do we owe our community that we'll make sure that we get for our community. And so it, I think it looks different depending on who you ask and when you ask and how you ask. But for me, those two things really matter, um, because if we're not figuring out what do we actually want from ourselves and what is actually owed for ourselves and what do we want from our community and what is actually owed from our communities, I think we're going to have a disconnect. And I think that's a very important part in that you know, that what we talked about, that internal growth going in before you go out. Wealth is wealth, indeed. Yeah. And so I really appreciate what you're saying about the mental piece. We shouldn't overlook that, you know, as we focus on the body. I mean, the, you know, it's, it's all connected. And to the extent that you're connecting people and helping people establish those relationships, remove the stigma. Once people start talking, you, you find out that, you know, you, you can't shut them down. You know, they have so much they want to talk about, right? Yeah. And so um, I, I think this is as for um, the work that you're doing, because it is absolutely um, what an amazing episode, what an amazing opportunity to touch base with another beautiful individual doing the good work. And for each and every one of you out there who are listening, who are fighting the good fight and doing your best, uh, change is possible. You know, we believe in the art of the possible with what we have. I cannot promise what will ultimately happen as a result of our enterprise in studying TC's relationship with slavery, racism, and the Confederacy. But I can pledge to you that we are doing the best we can with what we have.